The class today begins with Nephi in Helaman 7 weeping about the sins of his people. But it has a very close parallel. It's kind of amazing how it parallels uh, Moses 7 and Enoch weeping for children he's watching drowning in the flood. It appears that prophets and gods weep for their children, weep for those that have sinned, and look forward to an opportunity to help redeem them and to bring them home. Many of us have experiences in weeping for those that we love, doing things that they shouldn't. It's not to have particular salience for all of us who weep and wish people could do better. Join us for today's class. I, th I think there's a level of meaningless, meaningfulness here that should be helpful. And welcome to another Monday morning Book of Mormon class with Kevin Hinckley. Recorded live, we dive deeply and deliberately into this inspired scripture. How far we get in one class depends a lot on the material and the doctrines left for us by ancient prophets. A single chapter may occupy one class or many. Of course, opinions expressed by the teacher or the class members do not constitute official church doctrines. Join us in this adventure and discover the hidden treasures found within his pages. And now, on to the class. Well, that said, let's, let's go ahead and, uh, and begin uh, class today. Uh, now, I was, I was thinking about this earlier, thinking about some of the things that we have talked about in this last couple of weeks. And, and I, wanted to start, I wanted to start with an idea. Um, let, let's, say, uh, let's say that you guys have decided to start your own business. Okay? And you're the owners, but you really don't want to be managing the business. Okay? Now, so what, what you're going to do is you're going to hire a manager. And, and I'm going to... <laughs> And I'm going, to, I'm going to say to you, well, um, I've, got, I've got a person over here that would actually be a pretty good manager. Uh, the problem is, is that he continues to make a lot of poor decisions financially. <laughs> and he's kind of run up a lot of debt. Uh, and he keeps making kind of dumb decisions, so there's a lot more debt. Uh, and he actually has some skills to run your business, but... He's got that debt problem that just kind of weighs over him the whole time. Uh, I'm guessing you'd be pretty nervous about hiring him. But then, I, but then I say, oh, wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. He has a benefactor. And the benefactor is going to come in and pay out all his debts. He is now actually debt-free. Doesn't have any debts whatsoever. Now are you ready to hire him? Why? Because he's still the same person. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. In other words, you still worry about his decision-making process and you wonder all the things. Just 
it's nice that the debts are gone and it's nice that a benefactor came along and took care of all of his debts but he's kind of at the moment he's still kind of who he is so you'd be pretty nervous about then still hiring him okay so it really in the hiring process it's not so much about the debts as much as it is his habits and his character and his personality okay now you see where I'm going with this Think about the process when we think about heaven and we think about the atonement and stuff like that. We tend to say, hey, it's about the sins. <laughs> and we have cre- and we have done we have sinned and we've made bad decisions, we got bad habits. And then and then from our kind of our Protestant traditions, we come and say, but there was a benefactor that came and took out all of his sins. Is he now ready to enter heaven and kind of be kind of godlike? You know, no, because it was never about the sins, was it? Any more than it was never about the debts. But we make it about the sins. But really, it's about the what? It's about the character. It's about the nature. It's about personality. In other words, making it to heaven is not about being sin free. Because it's about having our character and natures transformed and changed over time to where we're going to be comfortable living in that environment. Does that make sense? Uh, So the atonement to me always is about change. It's not about sins. Sins, like your your habits, would be like the, the symptoms. It's a... It isn't like you can go to heaven and still have sins that's not going to happen as your nature changes your habits will change and you will sin less and you will be in a place where you're going to feel comfortable in heaven but we've just assumed that it would be about immediately wipe the slate and you're going to be happy in heaven I I think that would be incredibly uncomfortable wouldn't it? does that make sense? okay so so that, that's why, ultimately, I, I, like, I like this statement. Uh, actually, it's a statement from uh, Adam Miller. I wish I could claim it. He's saying, love is a law. It's not a reward or punishment. Part of developing a nature like God, we have to learn to do what? We've got to love like God does. That seems to be like an eternity struggle. <laughs> that's, that's not something that, you know, we have this, we have this wonderful baptism in our, in our YSA ward on, on Saturday, and uh, this kid is excited. He's the last member of his family to join. Everybody had joined. He just hasn't wanted to join the church. And now he's in his mid-20s, and he's kind of got it, and he's happy to be a baptized member. And we're happy to love on him and get him here. Is he now ready to go on to heaven? Because he got baptized and now he's been sparkly clean. And No, he's got a lifetime ahead of him in terms of transform, transformation and change and growth. And um, So when, when does love become kind of a punishment or a reward, do you think, in our relationships? He 
see the wheels turning. I will love you if. I will love you if. Conditional. Yeah. Yeah, another one, another conditional one, what? You think? <laughs> yeah, it is that transactional thing, isn't it? As long as you will do what I want you to do, then I'm going to love you. And then if you're not, I'm going to kind of withhold that. Okay? Now, I recognize that sometimes people then say, well, are we just supposed to love people no matter what they do? And no. I, how does a loving God deal with our habits and our destructive things that we do and our sins and our... He loves us, but it separates us from Him. Yeah. Okay. So, by, by natural process, right? We're, we're not comfortable in the same way that somebody who is not living things very well separates themselves from church <laughs> in the same way that, you know, maybe a bank robber separates himself from the police who are just not comfortable being there people tend to separate themselves and then and then over the process of time if we're loving them they have to their things have to change to where we're comfortable coming back into that that presence right um, but when does love but love can still on our part be a punishment what I was going to say it's not I mean, it goes beyond our relationship with God. It goes to the relationship we have with other people. If you have done something to have hurt them, yeah. part of the natural consequences is they don't want much to do with you then. Yeah, yeah. Or you don't want to do with them. Or, I mean, guys, we're, co- we're coming up on a um, another election this next year. Can you love somebody who votes for the other guy? As long as they don't win. (laughs) (laughs) I have my limit. I can't believe you would vote for that guy. So I'm going to withdraw myself. Or I can't believe that you're a member of that church. Or I can't believe that you're not a member of that church. Or I can't. We, we, we say in love, but if we're, what if we're saying like kindness and relationship and connection? Don't we? Isn't that possible to do that in a polarized? Can kind of separate ourselves from people that we disagree with, people that maybe even their lifestyle. We just have a tendency to pull back. They're not an easy one, is it? It really isn't. Okay, now, one of the things then that, that I think we have to be looking at, and, and I think we're going to kind of see this thing play out uh, in the or process of, of time. So I, want, I wanted to look today, uh, let, let's, go, let's go over to Helaman 7, because I think we're going to get a good example of that. Let's see how we go here. All right. Now, we j- j- just by way of background, we've just. Fourteen pounds a week. If you are struggling to lose weight and you're over twenty pounds, 
I was trying to get to a bed in our podcast. <laughs> was he struggling to lose 25 pounds a week? I'm so embarrassed. <laughs> I was That's awesome. the title of the leadership leadership meeting that he that I just listened to. Ooh. Do you want me to just say what I was trying to get at there? So Please. More sure. Intellectual. Anyway, <laughs> um, he, he's talking to the people that are like you and I are part of that leadership council, those that are employees of the church. So those of us served at the distribution center or on mission this broadcast was to over 7,000 people. And he was talking about, Bednar indicated that the one quality out of all the many that Christ seems to, in the scriptures, he looks for patterns, meaning Bednar looks for patterns. And the pattern he kept seeing the Savior exhibit was mercy. Yeah. It was, yeah, yeah love, but he was getting, Benar was getting to the root of trying to teach us how to have that to the forefront. Yes, love is a piece of that, but, but we, he said, I need to encourage you on your own to study and come up with, from the scriptures, observing the Savior, how he demonstrates that continually, and that is what he represents that includes acceptance, harmony, and love. But he said, if you think you're merciful, you're not. <laughs> wow. So, so um, I'm in the process of trying to wrap my arms around that training. I don't, I don't know. If you, yeah, because he says that you're not as merciful as you think you are. Kind of like that. I'm still grappling with that, but I think this plays into this of uh, understanding the Savior and, and how important mercy is. Yeah. Well, and, 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 I, and what I'm going to argue here is how transformative I think mercy is, both in ourselves and other people. And I think that was the dual, dual aspect of that. Is yeah. I think we as humans are so way not merciful towards ourselves, and that then as we view each other, we kind of have those clouded lenses about, like you've taught us before, I'm better than or and yeah. I'm happy unless I'm better than you are. Yeah. People that are merciful don't look at the world and each other like that. No, and I, I think, and neither does God, <laughs> you know, and I think that's that process of transformation is how we look at and respond to and heal other people. Uh, otherwise, we're in the process of trying to fix other people. I think when we go to this, we're in the process of trying to heal other people because we see their... That's why I love the idea that that's being put out that sin is not so much the larceny and the breaking of a law. Sin is about wounding. It's us being wounded and it needs a healing, not a penalty. I love that Gibbon says that. Yeah. Healing God, and uh, I'm embracing that, understanding that. But moving our culture away from this, from it was about the habit, so I can't hire them, to it's about the transformation and becoming a different person means healing. And on both, uh, on, on both parts. And heart healing our own heart in the way that we look at other people. Yeah, that's tough. It, it is a shift. 
and I'm watching it happen. But man, are we? There's there's some reasons we're pushing back against this. We'll talk about that another time. But yeah. Yeah, you know, like you're saying, the way I word it for myself is giving love and mercy is who I am or who the person is, who God is. Yeah. Because of who he is, he gives us all love and mercy, and that's what we're trying to become. Yeah. It's not about what that person's doing. Yeah, and if we are, it, but I think if we approach it from a healing standpoint, we have a better chance at changing the bad habits. We have a better chance at getting them to live different lives than if we're coming at it from a beat them over the head. Uh, you know, I, I, I'm always saying to, to parents when we're trying to put together like a parenting program for raising kids, we get more of what we reward of, we get less what we punish. <laughs> And sometimes we're punishing the wrong stuff, you know, and, and we're trying to find a way to reward good behavior rather than always focusing on punishing bad behavior and then wondering why they keep doing it. Um, and to a certain extent, that's, that's kind of what I'm seeing when I started looking at this with in, in uh, Helaman 7. Um, We've got this Nephi and Lehi, the, the sons of Helaman, man. They, they did some really great stuff. Life is going. They're super missionaries. And remember, they had the angels come down in the fire in prison. And everybody just goes, wow, this is, man, let's, let's join. And he has this great success. Uh, then it says uh, in verse 1, in the 69th year, uh, he returned to Zarahemla. Why? From the land northward not land southward. He'd been forth among the people who were in the land northward, and he did preach the word of God unto them and did prophesy many things. Wow, this great Nephi guy who was having all this great success. And what happens? Verse 3. They reject all his words. And insomuch that he could not stay among them, but he had to return again to the land of his nativity. Interesting word. Okay. Now, here's what he finds when he gets there. I've been out on my mission. I come back. How are things at home? <sighs> well, before, now we're going to have problems with the Gadianton robbers. Now, we were talking about before that the Gadianton started off like as kingmen. They're the other party, and they lose. And then we're going to actually put them down harshly. And some that are really pushing hard if it's going to interfere with our ability to war, we're going to, it's a death sentence to be the other party. So then they leave. But now they've found another step to come back in. They're not just going to stay on the outside. They're coming back into society, but they're coming into society how? Oh, look at this. They're seeing the people in a state of awful wickedness, and they're filling the judgment scenes. Oh, they're getting elected. Oh, having usurped the power and authority of the land, laying aside the commandments of God, not doing the least to write them. Now, look at what he is going to be his biggest objection to what they're doing. And you're going to see a theme here. And we're going to see this because we're also going to look at Moses 7. So Helaman 7 and Moses 7 have some real similarities here. These Gadiant robbers filling the judgment seat What's the problem in the last line? Doing no justice for who? 
for the children of man, right? It, you may be doing what you're doing, but what you're doing is, be, is harming others and not being merciful and in fact making their life harder and doing no justice among the children of men. Oh, how are they doing that? Well, look, look at the process. And by the way, I don't want to get into, I'm not looking to get into like conspiracy theories about how we're doing in Washington, D.C. today. <laughs> you are welcome to talk among yourselves about that, but I don't want to get sidetracked. We can go there. Okay. Five. Condemning the righteous. Why? Because of the righteousness. Now, let me st stop there for a second. Why would that be a problem? Why would you condemn the righteous for their righteousness? Justifies the, it justifies the bad actions of others. In what way? Well, it's not to get into present day discussions. <laughs> yes, yes. Calling, calling good bad and bad good. Yeah. Okay. But, and, and the problem with that is what? They're uncomfortable with the righteous? Part of it is uncomfortable. Yeah? want to push away God so they get rid of the righteousness. Why, 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 but why would they do that? That just looks like a personal choice. You go off and have your own little group or church because I, like, I don't like your righteousness. What's the problem with that? Maybe they want you to be righteous. Okay, why? why? Why would I have a problem with somebody else's righteousness? They're calling me bad. I don't like being judged. No question. I think that's part of it. Or if I recognize their righteousness and I'm not moving along the way I know I should be, I feel worse about myself. Yeah, I, th I think th I think that's true. But we're still not we're still not to the heart of what the biggest problem is with somebody else's righteousness. I don't know because I don't know. Well, keep reading. Moreover, to be held in the office of the government to rule that they do, might do what? Gain and glory. Okay. Moreover, that they might continue to Yeah. In other words, if you, your righteousness is going to prevent what? Me doing what I want to do. It's, it's a definition of what's right and wrong. And if, there, if you muddy that definition, then you can go ahead and do whatever you want. In other words, your righteousness, or if you're going to vote together as a, right, as a righteous block, you're going to tell me that I can't do what I want to do. I, I should have my agency. I can do whatever I want to do. But the problem is, is that sometimes what I want to do is I want to have more of your stuff. <laughs> I got my stuff, but I want to have your stuff too. So I want to have the ability to become more rich. I want to become more to get, gain, gain more gain, right? That's what Cain was about. I've got my stuff. Abel's got his stuff. What if I'm prevented from killing? Well, then I don't get Abel's stuff. What if I can kill? Then I get more. Then I get Abel's stuff on top of my stuff. So it's about gaining stuff. 
And power. And pa and and power to do what? To gain. To get my store. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> in, in other words, the more power I have, the more gain I can get. Now, sometimes that gain, like in like with uh, adultery, someone once said that you know there are those that just say they don't want any restrictions on how much sex and who they can have sex with, and and it's just about how much, how much. That's that's gain. Okay, I just want more. I want more. And, prob and the problem with mortality and Satan's world as it sets up is that happiness comes from what? Getting more stuff. <laughs> and if I'm prevented from getting more stuff, I'm going to be miserable. Okay? This is the time of year when parents and grandkids ask their kids, what do you want for Christmas? You know, during the year... <laughs> Maybe I get some stuff for my birthday and maybe I yell and scream when we get to the grocery store. But now we go to Christmas and we go, what you want? <laughs> oh, here comes the wish list. I want more. I want more stuff. I want more games. Well, you got games. I want more games. <laughs> you, I want stuffed animals. You have stuffed animals. Oh, I want more stuffed animals. I just want more and more and more. Okay, yeah. Yeah, being in the government, being able to rule is a vehicle to get more stuff. How, and how do you do that? By, by taxing the people. Sure. That's one way to do it. I can actually get more of your money so that I can spend it. Think about King Noah, you know, and he was going to raise the tax so that they could live a more lavish lifestyle. We get more stuff. Now, by the way, one of the benefits of stuff is not just that I get stuff. That's like we were talking about. It's important that I have more stuff than you. That's how do I know that I... Cause we, we talked about the, those two mortal things that we want. We want gain and we want to be special. How do I know I'm special? I have more stuff. <laughs> That's right. My house is bigger than yours. My house is higher than yours. My, ha my house has more stuff. Okay? Uh, my, my phone is newer than yours. <laughs> and probably bigger. <laughs> Every time it's got to be bigger. Right? It's just, I got to have more. So in other words, to be special, to appeal to my pride, but also to be able to consume it upon my lusts, I just need, I need more stuff. Okay. And the problem with righteousness is what? If you're righteous, you don't care about material. No. <laughs> it, it defines what is unrighteousness. And yes. So it, your your actions show up. As, yeah. It's a comparative thing. It can be a comparative thing. Okay. That's part of it. But the other one, especially in a government type situation, you're going to vote to pretend, to prevent me from getting my stuff. Okay? That, that's, that's part of the... There will be roadblocks against adultery. There will be roadblocks against stealing. There will be roadblocks against murder. All those things that would get in the way of me being able to get the things that I want without any uh, restraints. One thing that we have in our own history was in Missouri, 
when the uh, members of the church moved in yeah. and they did everything as a block and they were so afraid that they would vote as a block yeah. and, and vote for what they wanted as members of the church which is not what if you, own, if you owned a grocery store a store in, in Independence, Missouri in 1831 and all of these new settlers are coming in, that's, that's pretty good news, isn't it? Until the Whitney store shows up and then what? They're shopping there, they're not shopping with me. You're right. That, same thing, by the way, in Kirtland. Kirtland was a problem because everybody was moving to Kirtland right after the dedication of the temple. And now land price, there was land speculation. And, and people were driving the price of land up. So we need a bank to, to go ahead and regulate kind of that stuff. And then the bank, the bank president did a bunch of swindling on that thing. And they were using land. Anyway, the, that's been, that's been a problem in the past. Okay? All right. So here's what he's worried about. These things are happening. He's walking in here, and it happened quick. And, and look, at what, look at what Nephi's response is in verse 6. When Nephi saw that, that the righteous were being attacked because of their righteousness and, and the wicked were being able to be elected... He's saying, his heart was swollen with sorrow in his breast, and he did exclaim in the agony of his soul, Oh, that I could have been in my days, in the days of my father Nephi, when he first came out of Jerusalem, that he, he, I could have joyed with him in the promised land. Then his people were easy to be entreated, keep the commandments of God, and slow to do iniquity, and they were quick to hearken unto the... Is he reading the same Book of Mormon we are? <laughs> I always thought this was kind of interesting. <laughs> it's the good old days, yeah. But really? Uh, but his view of it is it would have been better then. And we're going, no, it really, it really isn't. Um, but that's what he's looking at. He's, his sorrow is, is that it would have been better at another time because he's sorrowing. And when we sorrow, we don't like to hurt. So we're going to look for reasons to not hurt. And one of those things is I can, I can visualize the time when Nephi came out and his brothers followed his lead and they came to this land and they st settled, you know. It was, you know... Oh, okay. And, and I think it's one of those things that we look at it and we go, okay, I, I see this. Then he says in verse 8, Yeah, if my days had been in those days, then would my soul have had joy because of the righteousness of my brethren. <laughs> now, to a certain extent, but I'm consigned, these are my days, and my soul shall be filled with sorrow because of the wickedness of my brethren. Now, let me just point something out here because I want to come back to this sorrow for just a sec. Because I think there's a beautiful parallel out there. I've always found it interesting when we get to 10. Now, it came to pass there's a tower 
which was in the Garden of Nephi, which was in the high, by the highway that led to the chief market, which was in the city of Zarahemla, and he bows himself upon the tower. Um, do we have a contrast here with another tower? The Ramiampton, seen by his grandfather, right? So what's the contrast? What was the deal with the Ramiampton? They went up there to be seen. Yes, right. And? And to be above others. I'm more righteous than others. I'm more righteous than, uh, by the way, I dress and what I'm going to say. And not only that, here's the, here was the beautiful thing about the guys on the top of the Rami Ampton. While they're up there in their finery and they're being seen by everybody, what are they attributing this to? God. God. I'm grateful to God. An interesting spin, right? Interesting. I'm grateful to God that He has elected me more than you. (laughs) I'm up here. And by the way, the other thing I'm grateful is that we didn't let the poor guys in here either. Never mind that they built this thing, but I'm going to, in the, in the tower here, I get to stand here and recognize how wonderful I am. Okay? And I love, love, love the contrast of, and I almost, I almost, in fact, my initial title for today's class was Two Towers. Because <laughs> I love the contrast between the two towers. Okay? So why did he go up in a tower? That is a really good question. What is that? What is that? Because I've been thinking about that. Apparently, in his ancestral home, it's the land of his nativity. So this would have been Alma's original home, probably. He has a land, and it's near town. It's right by the highway. As people are going back and forth, they're coming by. They're coming by, you know, Alma Heights or whatever that thing was, Alma Boulevard. And here is his, and he's got a garden. We know it's not a small town, or not a small house. He's got a garden, and he's got a tower. Okay? What, does that suggest anything to you? Well, wealth. Wealth. What else? But his righteousness, we know that temple experiences were on the mountains, and maybe the height was for where he was like we go to the temple mm-hmm. and maybe that tower represented to him his close his ability to be closer to God that he goes up there to pray. Sure. Okay. I would wonder if it was a place that he could speak from. Maybe. Maybe. I don't think he went up there or maybe he ended up speaking to the people, but I don't think It wasn't did. his original drive, was it? Anybody ever uh, made the long drive from here to Utah? <laughs> yeah. And 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 so you drive across. If you're going south, which you kind of do during the winter, because you're trying, you, so you're gonna you're gonna drive across New Mexico, the beautiful stretches of Tucumcari and <laughs> get into Albuquerque, and then you're gonna come through Albuquerque, and then then you get to Gallup and you hang a right. And now we're going to go right, and then we're going to go from Gallup, the 90 miles, all the way up to Cortez. Okay? So uh, as we go through beautiful downtown Shiprock, uh, 
<laughs> oh, you, you guys smile. You all been there, right? Okay. Now, as you're driving across the reservation, coming out of Gallup towards Shiprock, and you see these small, humble homes all over the reservation, okay? Whenever you're looking at a big plot of land on the reservation, there's usually like a house and a pickup truck and a couple of dogs. What else do you tend to see in, on their property? TV antenna. There's a big TV antenna, yeah, it's true. Or satellite dish. Okay. The houses that they smoke in. Yes, they're called what? Sweat lodges. What are the sweat lodges for? Because if you look, you'll see them. Meditation. Meditation. Purifying. Purifying is part of their is part of their religion is part of the Native American Navajo tradition to have a sweat lodge on your and that's where you're going to go to worship basically and they have their own individual sweat lodges on their property you can and next time you drive a car look for them you'll see them when you start looking for them you'll see them everywhere does it look like a teepee? It sometimes it'll look like a small no. It'll look more like a, a, a hut, a little igloo. like a little igloo, little wooden igloo would be a good way to describe that. Yeah. Okay. So you're going to go out of there. Uh, similar to when uh, I've mentioned before when we were in uh, last time we were in uh, Santorini and we had a Greek uh, guide. Uh, and she took us down to their, their village, which was really kind of their extended family. And they had their own little church uh, with their own little icon. And it's just like, it wasn't like for the town at large, it's just for their little village, their little thing. But they had their own little church. Okay? Yeah, sometimes just, and so they had a little cemetery next to it, and it's just for their family. Okay? Right, small little church, very cool. Okay, I'm wondering when I look at this and I look at traditions and I look at I wonder if there was a tradition among the Nephites because the large towers have been anywhere in Mesoamerica. You see the large towers at Chichen Itza and Tulum and um, and and uh, uh, Lamanai stuff like these massive, really big to call. And they're big towers. I'm wondering if there is a tradition among the Nephites to have their own little, on the property, their own little tower that would duplicate, be like us having... I mean, you ever been to a medieval castle? There will be a chapel in there. There is a place to worship, not for everybody, but for the family that lives in there. And I'm wondering if this was kind of a family tower that he would go and pray on. Just that would duplicate. Which makes me wonder, by the way, by reverse engineering, I wonder about the tower at Ramiampton. And maybe they were duplicating something, they were copying. The Ramiampton was like a false temple. But it was being used to justify ourselves. Does that, does that make sense? Okay, so anyway. All right. So he's doing this. So now let's go back. So his response to all of that was sorrow. 
Now, I, th I think it's it's interesting to me. We have we have a parallel with this thing. Hopefully, this link works. Oh yeah. Let's go back to another prophet. Let's go back all the way to Moses seven. Okay, Moses seven. This is Enoch. And Enoch is getting caught up to heaven and he's, he beholds all the nations of the earth before him. This is called the vision. Every, every prophet that I know of, major prophet of dispensation has had the vision. Nephi had it. Joseph Smith had it. Uh, Le, Lehi gets one. And Enoch gets one. So he gets to see all the nations before him and the power of Satan is on the earth. And he sees the angels descending out of heaven. Verse 25, and he sees the darkness. And 27, and he sees the angels descending out of heaven. Uh, and, and they're caught up by the powers of heaven. And, this, and he's look, what he's really looking at is the flood. Here is the flood. Now, as we're sitting in heaven and we're watching all of these people rejecting Nephi, we might go, well, that's karma. They, they weren't, you know, they didn't listen. Stupid them. You know, every, half of Hollywood's movies are built on vengeance. <laughs> yeah, wait till they get theirs. Wait till they get theirs. But this, this is the moment where he says, verse 28, it came to pass that the God of heaven looked and Enoch is observing him. He's with him. The God of heaven looked upon the residue of the people and he what? Wept. And Enoch bore record of it saying, how is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears as rain upon the mountain? 29. How is it that thou can weep seeing that thou art holy and from eternity to eternity? Now, let me stop for a sec. One of the things that happens to Joseph Smith in the, in this, in the grove, he is told in the initial vision, uh, join, jo join none of the churches because their creeds are an abomination. Okay? Creed doesn't necessarily mean Presbyterians and Baptists and stuff like that. What were the creeds? The doctrine, where the doctrine's coming from. One of them, the, the most prominent, the one that Joseph would have known most clearly was one called the Westminster Confession. And I should have, I should have copied off the Westminster Confession and put it in here. But you've heard it. If you went to the temple a long time ago, you heard, it, you heard the Westminster Confession quoted. Because the Westminster Confession says, God is a God without body, Parts or passions. God has no emotions. God is above the fray. He is part of what makes him eternal is that God God sees these little things down here and he just has no emotion one way or the other. And that's and that's what the Reformation did along the process of time. Catholics had 
saints that would weep and God that would be sad and stuff like that. But Luther and Calvin and those guys took one step this way and went, no, God has no emotions whatsoever. And Calvin is saying, well, that's why he is uh, sending babies to hell. Because some are elected to be saved and some are not elected to be saved. And the only way that a God can elect to send people to hell and stand by while children that he created burn in hell, Dante's seven levels and all that kind of, that, that kind of suffering, is that he has no, he basically has no compassion. I take it back. God does have one set of emotions, and that's what? Anger. Anger. <laughs> yeah. Anger. There's some jealousy thrown in there, but he can be really vindictive, angry. God, don't mess with my laws, or I will strike you. Don't be too happy. I'll get you for that. But basically, this is God without body parts and passions. Okay? Yeah? Which is interesting, because we don't know that anger is a secondary emotion. Yes, it is. Uh, preceded by sorrow of some sort. Usually pain and fear yeah. are the ones that are underneath those. Those are the real things. But if you're going to worship a God that does has no emotions, then it really becomes transactional. It's you got to, you are out of obey or you go to hell. And I, I mentioned before that's when that's when Saint Augustine really did say part of the enjoyment of those in heaven is watching the suffering of those in hell. Because there is a certain amount of enjoyment do you think there's a certain anybody ever ridden in first class I, 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 I've never ridden in first class <laughs> isn't there a certain amount of satisfaction watching watching the paupers go to the back of the plane <laughs> you don't want to say it but it's like okay we need you guys to hurry and come through because we get metal, metal forks and, <laughs> and glass glasses Right? Before the flight even starts, right? Now, you really don't want to have to look at the poppers in the back of the plane, so what do they do? Pull the curtain. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now, I'm always walking through going, man, I wish I was one of these guys, but oh, I'm number 75. I think I'm back here by the ice crushers <laughs> in the back of the plane. And they have their own bathrooms. Don't use the first class bathroom. No. Don't do that. When the curtains close, yes, yes, yes. Stay in the back. Yeah, you know, so, so you're going to do that, right? Uh, and it doesn't matter whether it's that or whether it's concerts and like the really, the more money you have or, you know, you're going to go to a basketball game and the really, you know, people paying $1,500 a seat get, the, get to be on the floor. I mean, our mortality wants to set us up by all of that, okay, right? Okay, now. He's going to weep, and he's going to go, okay, wait a minute. This, this is the moment. By the way, this is, this is 1831. This is the moment when Joseph, Joseph's revelation is a major turnaround on all of Christianity. It's just, that, this is a, I don't think we can even begin to underestimate how big a shift this is from a God without body parts and passions to a God who's weeping. Wow. That's, and by the way, when we when when people someone asked the other day online and Facebook page I was at, and what was the major thing that was restored? What was what was, when we talk about the restoration? What was restored? And they're like, well, the keys, well, the authority, well, the 
the, and I said the nature and character of God is the biggest thing, right? That's not what the same. Yeah, that is the major thing that is restored, that is brought back. Paul knew this guy. Peter knew this guy, but by the time we got to the Middle Ages, and 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 uh, Augustine said that he was a big fan of St. Augustine in the 4th century, big fan of uh, Greek mythology, Greek and Roman. So Zeus, uh, those guys were above the fray. They were without passion. They were among themselves, but as far as mankind goes, you're ants. <laughs> you know, we can... Anyway, so this is huge. How is it that the heavens weep and shed forth their tears? And he's going to go, how, how did you do this? And, and then, then he's like, but but God, 30, if it's possible, man could number the particles of the earth. Millions like this. There are so many of us. What are you doing weeping? Uh, thy curtains are stretched out. Thy bosom is there. Thou art merciful and kind. You took us. You took Zion into your own bosom uh, from eternity to eternity. We have nothing but peace and justice and mercy go before thy face and have no... How is it you're crying? <laughs> In verse, end of 31 how is it that thou can weep look at what God's explanation is to Enoch and I believe by the way I think this is a God teaching a prophet how to become godlike. this is the moment when I think we are closest to seeing a man become more like God is this, this particular thing he says 32 they're the workmanship of my hands. These are my children. I gave them their knowledge on the day I created them. I gave them their agency. And unto thy brethren have I said. And given by way of commandment. Love is a law. And given by commandment that they should love one another. And that they should choose me. How, how did Jesus say that? What's the great commandment? Love the Lord thy God with all thy heart and thy neighbor as thyself. And all the laws and the prophets hang on this. Everything comes from this essential core element. Love the Lord thy God. And in this case, it actually gets turned around. Love one another and choose me. And then here's, here's, here's the father's sadness. They are without affection and they hate their own blood. That and, and now you can say the fire, fire of mine indignation. You say anger. I'm saying sadness. And I will send the floods for my fierce anger is kindled. Again. I, I, I don't, don't know what to do. I, I got to somehow stop their behavior. Okay. Uh, and then, so the floods are going to come. Uh, I can create all of these things. Uh, and what do I do with their sins? And their misery shall be their doom. The whole heavens, 37, shall weep over them. Even the workmanship of my hands. Wherefore, why shouldn't the heavens weep, seeing that these suffer? Why wouldn't a heavenly parent weep over the actions of his kids? Because the biggest thing these kids have done what? They hate one another. I commanded them to love and they hate one another. 
but the heavens weep seeing that these these shall suffer these ones that are going to die in the flood that drowning's a horrible death now he says I have a prison prepared for them um, but it won't be endless um, he said now it is interesting though my chosen hath pled before my face saying that he would suffer for their sins he will help change them insomuch as they will repent when my chosen will return to me until that day they shall be in torment uh, for this thou shall the heavens weep all the workmanship of my hands now watch watch what happens then and I think this is similar to what's happening with Nephi on the tower 41 the Lord says spake unto Enoch told all the doings of the children of men therefore Enoch knew and looked upon their wickedness and their misery and, and their misery the, the wicked their misery and wept and stretched forth his arms and his heart what, what a phrase right his heart swelled wide as eternity and his bowels yearned and all eternity shook there is you want to become like gods here's the lot of godhood the lot of godhood is that we will sorrow when we watch other people go through what they're going through not out of karma not like we're glad they got theirs gods weep over this thing and and I'm going to count in here there will be four times in in Moses 7 where it's recorded that Enoch weeps he just weeps over and over and over Enoch yeah could God in an embryonic state be teaching us as parents if we have gone to the temple and counted hopefully to become queens and priests gods and goddesses is it being a parent here on this earth dealing with our children that we weep over yeah. them yeah. when we've taught them things when they're teenagers our hearts age but then when they become adults and walk away from that which we have taught them and is precious to us I think for me that's that is my little crucible that Father's trying to teach me to be like Him Yeah. and how what I, my job is to love them regardless of what they've chosen and help them know that I am going to always be a safe place yeah now I think but I think what adds to that pain is what's happening with Enoch right at this moment they're going to do the wrong things they're going to go into a prison and that's endless they're never coming out and so it's just the idea that their poor choices will lead them to be miserable and that misery will end them up in spirit prison forever and I will be separated from them forever I think it's just the finality of where he was at that moment and he, that's why he stays weeping till he gets the good news he's going to keep weeping and keep weeping but I think we get a when we watch our kids struggle I think we have a little bit of godhood in us because that's what parents 
do when they watch their kids. And it may not necessarily be that they're sinning or doing bad things. It's just we watch our kids do stupid things. <laughs> and we know that they're going to... There's misery coming on, on this. Okay? I'm going to ask a really off-the-wall question. And why would we want to sign up? <laughs> you, you mean for the parent for the parenting thing? There, yeah, no. I mean, you know, when you think of because it's inevitable that that people mortality is going to bring these experiences, and so why would we want to be gods for eternity? Yeah, because ultimately, isn't it interesting that that. Uh, man is ultimately that he might have what? Joy. So coming to understand joy you know, is like Eve understanding, I'm going to understand joy because I knew bitterness. That the joy of this thing over here would be sharper and ma more massive because I have experienced the pain and sadness of watching people struggle. Because I think otherwise, if we just thought that's endless, I'm going to... I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have a bunch of kids. A third of them will go bad right out of the chute. And, and, then, and then there'll be this small elect group. They make it. So really about 99% of all the kids that I will ever raise will go to hell and never come back to see me. Doesn't seem like that would be a real great incentive. Yeah. But if there's a way that you start looking at this and say, my beloved will will make resurrection possible and my beloved will work with them after the veil and he will get his children home. Not because they won't go through pain and suffering and things like that, but there will be a plan for them to transform and change and come back. That's joy. Uh, you know, a couple, like, like the, the kid that we had baptized yesterday, last member of his family to join the church. Rest of the family all join the church. Rest of the family is active. He's the one with the hair up his nose doing whatever he was going to do. And then he finally recognized he needed, it was time. And all the time that, and, and I'm conducting this meeting and I'm looking at him and he's beaming, he's looking good, but guess who else was beaming even more? His, his mama. <laughs> she, she doesn't even speak English. And she's just grinning from ear to ear like this is... This is joy, not because he's always been good, but because there's this added piece of, I've watched him struggle and finally my boy's coming home. In, in fact, I stopped, before I finished the, the thing yesterday, I, I looked at him and I said, so, so those on the other side of the veil and this on this side of the veil would like to know something from you. And he's like, what? And I said, what took you so long? <laughs> it's about time dude <laughs> they're glad to have you back but man it's time man he just grins and, and he stands up and goes I'm back <laughs> so no so so we get this thing because I just think that's such a great question about uh, but, but at this moment Enoch is still weeping uh, Enoch sees the flood 44, he has a bitterness of soul and wept over his brethren. And he says, I refuse to be comforted. And the Lord is going, lift up your heart and be glad. And he goes, yeah, but they're drowning and they're going to hell. And, and, and then he's, Enoch uh, looked and Noah and he behold all the families and he cries unto the Lord saying, 
Wait, there's hope here. When shall the day of the Lord come? When shall the righteous be shed? That all those who mourn, meaning those that have sinned, may be sanctified and have eternal life. When will this happen? And the Lord says, it'll be in the meridian of time. It's coming. And Enoch saw that. And righteousness is lifted up. And the lamb is slain. And then Enoch goes, because it's not done yet, just because he's slain, he looks upon the earth. Now there's a real symbolic thing that's about to happen here. He looks upon the earth. Verse 40. Beholds a voice. Woe is me, the mother of men. I am pained. I am weary. Uh, when shall I rest and be cleansed of the filthiness? When will my creator sanctify me that I may rest? Uh, and righteousness for a season abide upon my face. 49. Enoch says, He heard the earth mourn and he wept. He weeps again. I don't think he's weeping about the world. Watch, watch how this happens. When wilt thou have compassion upon the earth? When wilt thou not bless who? Children. The children of Noah. That the ones I'm watching who will die and be go back to the grave and go back to the dust. And he's saying... Wilt thou not bless the children of Noah? The righteous are going to be okay, but what about the wicked? Um, and he cries. And then he does this really formal thing that prophets do. Look at 50. I ask the O Lord... It sounds like an ordinance. I ask the O Lord in the name of, thy own, name of thine only begotten Son, even Jesus Christ. You might even wonder if he's raised his arm to the square almost. Even Jesus Christ, that thou wilt have mercy upon Noah and his seed that the earth might never again be covered by flood. The earth could not, the Lord could not forbear. He covenants. He sends an annulment uh, agree. Uh, 50, he says he's going to send Messiah whose seed will come. King of, he's going to do this. Um, but Enoch's not done yet. When? When shall the Son of Man cometh in the flesh that the earth may rest? I pray thee, show me these things. 55. Uh, the Lord says, He beheld the Son of Man lifted upon the cross after the manner of men. And then he, the heavens are veiled. The creations of God mourns. The earth groans. Saints arise. Now, here's his moment. As many as the saints were in prison came forth, those that had, didn't have their bodies but were righteous, stood on the right hand. And the remainder... These people from Noah were reserved in the chains of darkness until the judgment of that great day. And Enoch weeps again. It's still not done yet. I still see people miserable. These are the people from Noah. Enoch weeps again and cries unto the Lord, When? The, worth, the, Lord, the earth has not yet rested. And Enoch sees that the Son of Man is going to take care of this. Uh, and the Lord says as I live in the last days to fulfill the oath that I made unto you concerning the children of Noah and when I have fulfilled that oath then the earth shall rest the earth doesn't rest until those that were in what we would think spirit prison the children of Noah are able to come forward but my people will I preserve righteousness I will send down they, and then Let's see. You can go back and read this. 
From that day, last days, he saw great tribulation. Things are troubled. Men's hearts are failing them. They look with fear on the judgments of God which will come upon the wicked. The Lord showed Enoch all these even in the end of the world. And then he finally sees the day of righteousness. The hour of redemption. And that's when he stops crying. That's when he receives a fullness of joy. But the fullness of joy comes after the weeping. And, and maybe that's the name of the lesson. <laughs> joy cometh after the weeping. Yeah. So next week we're going to have the lesson on the joy part. <laughs> yes, that's exactly where we were going. Because <laughs> you're still bearing under the oh my gosh, which which. Um, so, in fact, let, let me do this. Here, here's the here's the questions I conjured up here. Do you have your own tower moments? <laughs> Sorrowing over the choices of others, not just your own kids, but you turn you just turn on the news. You know? How are things going in Israel? Ah, yeah. You're watching bodies on both sides of the fence here. Sorrowing over the choices of others. Now, can we get to a point where that's unhealthy? Where it just dominates everything that we're thinking and worrying about? Yeah. It really can. And so the question is, and I was going to try and spend a few minutes answering that, but I think we, I like, I like your idea. Let's, let's do a whole lesson next week on how do we become balanced. Because, because I'm just aware, uh, as, I, as I talk to people, especially when, when people have known about you know, trips to Israel and stuff like that, like, tell me about Israel. Tell me what you think is going to happen. Where, where are things going? What happens next? You know, you know, and, and what you start hearing, there is such a level of fear and worry about the world. Uh, you, know, I'm, you know, I'm not raising kids, but my kids are raising kids, and they're having to bring up kids in this environment that's polarized, and it's angry, and it's, and, and it is more, it's challenging. Uh, and if we're not careful, we can be so despairing that we can't, it freezes us into inaction. Why even try? Because it's going to be so bad. Um, and and I, I realized, it was it President Uchtdorf who said, yes, there will be an Armageddon, but there's also a, an atom on diamond. Maybe Elder Holland said that. Yeah, but there's a lot of Armageddon between here and atom on diamond <laughs> is, is the problem. Uh, and and I, I think it's interesting that when Enoch is going through all of that, he talks about how men's hearts will fail them. And I think we're there. We watch wars of rumors of wars and stuff like that. And, and how, we, how we learn to balance that is, is the challenge. I, I don't know what's your... That's, that's the big time worry that I have. So much of depression and anxiety I see is not just what's going on in my life, but turning on the news. <laughs> yes, ma'am. I think the only solution is trusting God. I mean, that's the solution. Yeah, but but do you hear the dilemma? In trusting God means we're also recognizing that there will there will be fear and pain. Right. And in trusting God, we're saying 
we will have a fullness of joy, but the fullness of joy is there because we are we're experiencing the bitterness. You can't love people without sorrow, so uh-uh. you have to uh-uh. decide it's worth the love. And it's worth the sorrow to have the love. To put our to kind of stretch our necks out to try and love a fourteen year old knowing that he will still do stupid things. Well, like you said, you get too wrapped up in that and throws up in, in action. Yeah. And I try to remind myself that uh, there's not a lot of good stuff going on, too. In fact, I would maintain there's more good going on than yeah, more really the, not in war than in war. Isn't that true? Um, but yeah, every day, terrible stuff. And, and the inhumanity of man and, and all that kind of stuff, yeah. Well, I'm, I'm just thinking the different periods of history that people could have felt like they were there already, you know, during the Civil War. Mm-hmm. They probably thought. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Or if you go back. I mean, World, World, World War I in France, right? Right. Or, or during the Inquisition, you know. I mean, Life was wonderful in Spain. Yeah. <laughs> so I, I think no one knows the time when the second coming is going to come. Yeah. And, and when the restoration first occurred, I think the saints thought it's restoration, you know, who thought they didn't expect it to go another 250 years or whatever. No, that's why every generation, you guys heard it, every generation we heard is like, second coming's coming tomorrow. Yeah. That's what I was going to say. Disasters happen. We think, oh, and is near. Right now. Well, during World War II, if there was ever a time that you thought the world was going to end, I would think it would be then. Yeah. There was that was bigger than what's going on now, and yet I'm not aware of uh, like members of the church being all, oh no, this is the end of the world. I don't. Know, maybe they did, and we just not recorded. Are you, are you aware? No, I, I, I want you know. In, in some ways. In some ways, what I hear more, I think, is, man, the world's crappy, and the world's wicked, and the world's bad. It's a, you mean like right now? Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, it's just, can't turn on TV without getting F-bombed, you know, and so it's just like, we're seeing that. But this, but this idea of war is coming, I think, still hangs over our head, but maybe not as much culturally as maybe it was even 30 years ago. I'm born in 49. Uh-huh. So I go to elementary school and I'm one of the kids who's hiding under his desk. In a nuclear blast, right. we're, we're, we're all going to stay away from the windows and hide underneath our desk. <laughs> I, I, I did that. Yeah. And they sold it to me. I did not think we were going to live much longer. I mean, when you then as you get old enough so you can read and you say you look at okay nuclear bombs what do they do bop, 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 you get the list of stuff wow we're dead <laughs> there's, or, there's no or, or wish we were yeah well, there's no way we, we can get past this and because everybody hates each other America and Russia I mean we're ready to go at knives you know immediately yeah I know I and know I bought it <laughs> you know <laughs> I think a lot of us are buying it now. Yeah. Yeah. 
when I was teaching seminary during World War II, I mentioned, I, wow. uh, I was teaching Old Testament, and I was concerned that they not come up with the idea that God was uh, an evil God. And uh, so I pointed out to them that the reason the flood had came was because we as parents have a great deal of, of uh, influence over our children. And if all parents are wicked, then we as children who were coming down didn't stand a chance yeah. of being uh, righteous. Yeah. And so he wiped the slate clean so that those yet to come yeah. And, and you know, again, what's comforting for me, and maybe we'll kind of wrap up with this, what's comforting for me is that even if we ever try and somehow justify how horrible the, the flood was, whether it was limited or whether it was worldwide, who knows, okay? But, but this is full of promises that says from the Savior, I'll go get them and I will bring them home, even no matter what they were doing. I'm promising Enoch, I'm promising the Father, that and we have it in section 137 that he did 38 37 uh, 137 where, where he says he he that the savior goes into the uh, underworld and then he organizes missionary work and sends them specifically to these guys uh, 138 uh, and and first Peter tells us the same thing that he went to those that were long awaiting during that during that period of time so so all right so I'm gonna I'm gonna end I'm gonna end today leaving you thinking <laughs> but, but because I think this is the this is the battle of our day how do we how do we move forward and act and love and serve and heal to the extent that we can recognizing that we're going to be limited in what we can do because so many people are going to choose to do what they're going to do because if you keep following well, we know how this story of Nephi ends, right? Is that he's going he's gonna to stand on his tower, he's going to preach, he's going to say that the, the high priest was killed, the, high, the chief judge was killed, they'll go find it, turn out that it was his brother that did it, uh, and it wasn't the four guys they sent to take a look, it was them. So then they're going to argue among themselves uh, afterwards, wow, that, this Nephi's a good guy, but it doesn't change their behavior. And in fact, they, the rest of Helaman is they just keep getting worse. So finally, uh, the, the, their wickedness only stops when Nephi calls, gets the sealing power and calls down a drought. <laughs> that's when it finally, that's where the thing ends. But through all of the miracles and all the stuff, it still didn't change their nature until they were ready to have their nature changed. So that's that's our, our challenge. How do we heal the world and change people's natures? So, any final comments? Yeah. Um, I was just thinking about some of the stuff we were talking about, about the, the rising generation. Um, I'm a little bit younger than some of you. You're still rising. You're still proving. <laughs> yes. Yes. I'm thinking about how uh, kids these days are. Surrounded by a lot of ideas. I guess I was raised, I won't say everyone, but I was raised with a lot of ideas that 
all stories have to end in a happy ending for them to be stories. Oh. Uh, it's, it's always happily ever after. It's always happily ever after. There's always a Disney uh, happyify story. Uh -huh. um, and how coming up into the real world, I feel like I was gypped, not knowing what real life is like. Not knowing. Um, and so that brings me back to like knowing our history, the, like especially our ancestry, can help us move forward. Um, it's kind of that idea of of the children going back to their fathers, because the fathers were looking forward to their children mm. um, and thinking, my ancestors during World War II, um, my grandpa, grandparents in, in World War II, they were thinking about us and they were still held on to that hope of God, and if. During that time, they were thinking about God, then maybe I can do the same thing and just look forward in that way. And that was. I, I like that a lot. I, that makes sense. And then the hearts of the children turn to their fathers. Uh, and, and not only that, from what I, what I understand for myself from what you're saying, is that our uh, progenitors, when faced with a struggle like a war, that they were fighting for us to be able to enjoy a life without evil. So yeah. they were thinking about us as they did what they had to do, and we weren't even around yet, but they knew we would be somewhere. That, yeah. Great point. Yeah. Okay. Well, guys, I, I bury my testimony that uh, if we love big, we grieve big. <laughs> if we love big, we will sorrow. But part of the sorrowing in that process is learning how to, once again, love big, but then gain the fullness of joy. Fullness meaning that sometimes there'll be pain. So I leave that with you in, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Sister Cole, can we call you for a little bit? And thank you for joining us for another Monday morning class. Hope you enjoyed it. If you have any suggestions about future topics that we could discuss, or if you had any questions concerning something that you heard in the class, please drop us a note. We'd love to hear from you. As always, if you happen to be in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, please come in and join us on a Monday morning. We'd love to see you and identify who you are. If the podcast itself is resonating with you, go ahead and click subscribe. Uh, so that Apple can figure out where we are. We'd love to, to hear from you. So again, thank you for coming, and we'll see you for another Monday morning class.